This is the FCPS show covering Pinskau's first game of the season and all the other action from the leagues around Austria. Welcome to the FCPS show. My name's Tom Midler and I'm joined by Lee Wingate to review the action from the Regional League Salzburg, focusing, of course, on FC Pinskau Salfelden. It's been nine months since the last competitive game for the Mountainous Pine Blues, but finally it came around this weekend and fantastically, Pinskau started off with a 3-1 away victory. A tough opening game though, wasn't it, Lee, against SV Valsgrunau? Yeah, it did end up perhaps not being the the straightforward game that Christian Ziga might have hoped for. And I suppose playing against the fifth place team from last season, that that was to be expected. I think Pinsgau did look like they had the game under control for the most part. Obviously, they took the lead through Alpha Senejata's thunderous header in the the first half. Perhaps the only blot on their copybook being that sort of lapse of concentration or misplaced pass that allowed Matthias Pickler to equalise for Vals Grunau in the second half. Then, of course, um, Harry Cooksley, with a, I think he had a, a few chances to, to score some goals, but he obviously put that one away from a very narrow angle just a matter of seconds after Vals Grunau had equalised and then Semir Gvozja just getting the job done right at the end there. So perhaps a nervier finish than we would have liked, but I think the three points is all that matters on the opening day. Yeah, absolutely. Three points was the target and three points is what Pinsgau came away with. Let's go back to the start of the match, the opening phases. Pinsgau began quite well. And by the time that Jatta opened the scoring just after the half an hour mark, Pinsgau had had quite a few chances at that point. Tandari missing one from just a couple of yards out. That was just 48 seconds into the new season. So what a start that would have been. But um, Kirshner uh, with so many corners deep into the box. Jatter had hit the bar from one of those headers beforehand. Another header had flashed across the face of goal. So you can't say it wasn't coming by the time that Jatter did put Pinsgau ahead. Yeah, they really couldn't deal with those corners, could they? Everyone looked like it was going to be a goal. Some some great deliveries from from Dominic Kershner. And during that whole period where this sort of barrage of corners was was unfolding in the in the Valsgrunau penalty area, they also didn't have a single chance at the other end of note. So I think um, based on the balance of play, the fact that, that we opened the scoring 33 minutes in was, was definitely fair. Yeah, I think at halftime, Christian Sieger, by far the more satisfied of the managers. The only downside was probably that we weren't 2-0 up and that we hadn't got that early goal through Tandari's chance. But then moving on into the second half, we hoped that Pinskau would be able to hold on to the lead and sort of cruise away with the game and, and secure a, a nerveless three points. But that's not what happened, is it? It was Tandari himself who, who gave the ball away with a, a back pass that was a little bit careless, just uh, allowed the, the right forward from Valsgrunau to nip in there. And it did cause quite a lot of trouble for the defence, that quick turnover in play, didn't it? Yeah, I think a few people were caught out of position there and ultimately didn't, didn't manage to recover in time to, to to thwart the goal. Matthias Pickler scoring his fourth goal against us. So he's become a bit of a, what's the word, a bogeyman for us. Um, over the past few seasons but I think it's a sign of mental strength and resolve that you're able to come back so quickly and and as Christian Ziga said after the game a former coach once told him that 
your opponent is almost is always the most vulnerable directly after they've scored against you. And I think there was definitely some, some evidence of that on show. Yeah, that's definitely true. And to look at it from the positive point of view as well, I think if you're going to concede a goal, it's almost better to concede a goal through an individual unfortunate error uh, rather than conceding from the opposition sort of outthinking you tactically or, or putting you under a lot of pressure. So as disappointing as it is to, to concede an equaliser completely against the run of play, at least the, the strength and the confidence of Pinsgau held up at that point. You know, they knew it wasn't really deserved to be at 1-1. And uh, boy, did they capitalise on that right from the kickoff. They just knocked the ball back and then went straight forward with a nice bit of play, two direct passes forward. Cooksley in behind the defence for the first time all match, really got a chance to run at pace behind the defence into the box. We hadn't really seen any of the players with an opportunity to do that at that point. And he finished brilliantly from the angle, a really clinical finish, just what you need at that point. Strike just as the uh, opponents are on the up and thinking they're about to settle into the game at 1-1 and perhaps uh, build something for themselves because they hadn't created much at that point, Vals Grunau and uh, Pinsgau really shut off their momentum before it was allowed to begin. But then we went into the, the latter stages of the second half, Pinsgau sitting on a 2-1 lead, just a narrow narrow lead at that point and, and perhaps feeling like they should have been further ahead so it was always going to be a bit nervy wasn't it at 2-1 coming into the closing stages with the home team they were able to just risk everything to to grab an equaliser I think the big chance was that that lob that Harry Cooksley had which you know he was clean through ultimately went for the lob which I don't think pleased the coach too much um, that just fears just over in fact it was so narrowly over the bar that I think in the commentary booth you weren't sure whether it had gone in or not yeah, it hit the back fence at exactly the same point that on the screen it looked like it would have hit the bottom of the bar. So the, when, when the ball dropped down, it looked as if it had hit the bottom of the bar and then it sort of nestled onto the back of the net as well. So in my defence, it really looked, it was a trick of the eye there, it really looked as if it had gone in. And I didn't realise until I saw Harry Cooksley just sort of bending down and putting his head in his hands that he knew he was really disappointed that he missed it. And I thought, oh, why is he so disappointed? Ah, right, yeah, and I saw the defender running behind the goal to, to pick the ball out of the of the back of the net, but not the right side of the back of the net, unfortunately. It was very hard to see. I mean, I thought when I was listening to your commentary and I thought that, that it had gone in as well, so it was a bit of a, a sinking feeling to see that it hadn't actually gone in. Yeah, in Cooksley's defence, Ziga may not be too happy, but it, it wasn't a bad lob at all. And it's nice to see that he's got the confidence to, to try that. You know, it's the worst thing that happens. I see it in the Bundesliga a lot, where players just sort of blast those shots straight at the keeper. And you think, oh, come on, a bit of, a bit of class, a bit of composure. And he went for it. So, you know, 10 out of 10 for effort, at least. I think it's outcome-based, isn't it? If that goes in, then you can't have any qualms. But the fact that it didn't perhaps leave some room for, for constructive criticism from the boss... And I thought, you know, after that, that really set up quite a nervy finish for the game because that, that would have killed it ultimately. But but fortunately, Semir Gvozja coming off the bench managed to managed to, to kill the game with quite a nice finish, pretty much at the death, really. Yeah, but just before that, there's one Vals Grunau chance that I wanted to mention because they were, you know, throwing the kitchen sink at it by the end. They, they didn't really put Pinsgau under too much pressure, but there was one chance in the 93rd minute where they hit a really good, deep, long ball in towards the penalty spot. And the centre-back, Thomas Pertl, probably gives you a, a good indication of how Valsgrunau were playing at that point, because the centre-back, uh, the captain as well, was right up there in the box to bring down that long ball perfectly. Uh, he brought it under control really, really well, and then he was muscled out of it by the Pinsgau defence, and Kolic, the goalkeeper, was able to, to gather that. And I thought, 
the composure of the defence there in the 93rd minute with that ball going forward was really impressive stuff from, from Zegers Pinskow's side because I thought for a second when Pirtle brought that long ball down, I thought, oh, here we go. 2-2 two, two right at the end. We're going to rue our missed chances in, in this one. But thankfully, we just went down the other end and scored instead. Yeah, and I like that, the fact that they weren't looking to defend their own penalty box right to the end and see out an hour or two on win. They were willing to, to try and get more goals. And it was a very nice finish as well. Really, really like that straight into the top corner. So great stuff. And, 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 a, and an opening day win that sees us go top of the table as well. Yeah, no complaints at all. Uh, what did some of the fans have to say online about the game? Yeah, Vernon, Vern underscore boy on Twitter was asking about the formation that we played on Saturday, which was a 5-3-2. Obviously, we, we played a 4-2-3-1 or something of that ilk for most of the time during pre-season. He asked, what do we think the long-term formation will be? Do we think we can, we'll see more of a back five going forward? Yeah, I'm not sure. You said you were a bit surprised to see that formation, didn't you, given what we knew from Pinskow in pre-season? Yeah, I was just surprised because at no stage during pre-season did we see three centre-backs play together. And I think it worked well, ultimately. Like like you said, it was, it was sort of down to a, you know, a, our own mistake that we conceded that equaliser rather than, than the defence not coordinating properly. Um, I think perhaps Christian Ziga, obviously last season, the, the team conceded just 13 goals, which was the fewest of any team in the Salzburg Regional League. And perhaps he just wants to build from the defence and, and ensure that the foundations are solid. So maybe we will, maybe it will depend on the opponent as well. I can't imagine, for example, that if we played against a Bischofshofen side that is bottom of the table, that there would be a back five. But ultimately, that's a, a question for him, I guess. Yeah, this is one that fan owners might actually be able to get more information than us on uh, with, with one of the group calls. You know, you can call in and, and speak to the team and, and ask about these decisions being made. And Ziga does play his cards close to his chest, so we don't get any extra tactical information here on the FCPS show. We've got to call it as we see it. Um, I quite like this 5-3-2, though. It was, it was difficult to see whether it was a 5-3-2 or a 3-5-2. It actually worked really like that with with Ollie Valentine and Lucas Schubert, the, the left back and the right back, respectively. They were marauding forward down the wings for most of that time. And given the fact that Pinskow were on the offensive for a large portion of the game, it did operate more like a 3-5-2 at that point. You, you often saw uh, Ollie Valentine, especially on the end of these long diagonal balls early on. And I wonder if, if we won't see too much of this 5-3-2 because perhaps it was a conservative, a slightly conservative and sort of low-risk start to the season from Ziga because what the 5-3-2 gave with those two wing-backs pushing forward, it gave the option for these long balls, these sort of very low-risk long balls, because then you've got three target men. You've got Valentine on the left, you've got Schubert on the right, and you've also got Tandari in the middle, who's not afraid at all to go up there and play target man and, and try and win some of these long balls. And especially when you're settling into a new season on a, on a pretty bobbly pitch, it's, uh, it's low-risk, you know, it saves you doing what we did for the for the goal that Pinskow conceded and giving the ball away and putting your opposition in, into a into a good position from nothing really so so these long balls whilst they might not be the most pleasing thing on the eye they're a low risk strategy and, and they worked quite effectively for Pinskow I don't feel it was something that we saw for for the whole game though I feel like they started to get the ball down and, and play a bit more in the second half so perhaps perhaps it really was just to ease into the first game of the season Another Twitter follower, Scott Bauer, nice hashtag, uh, sorry, nice handle there, Scott, Visual Criminal One. 
He said, I felt like we were a bit sloppy with our possession in the first 20 minutes or so, giving away too many balls. Do you think that was the case? I don't think that. I think there were some more long balls, but I don't necessarily think we were sloppy in possession. Yeah, I'll cut the team a bit of slack on that one, if that was the case anyway. You saw on, on the live feed how badly that pitch chopped up. There were players picking up with two hands massive sections of turf at some point and trying to sort of stamp it back into the ground. So so the condition of the turf was really, really bad. That's definitely not conducive to to good passing football. It was so bobbly and and really yeah, difficult conditions. So I'll forgive them if they did, you know, try not to play that and try not to give away too much. But um, also, you know, you have to remember they've not played a competitive game for, for nine months. It was November when they beat Austria Salzburg 1-0 in their last competitive match. So I think going for this sort of lower risk approach and, and or maybe even just being a bit rusty and a little bit sloppy in the, in the, in the opening moments, that's it's sort of bound to be the case. And, and we certainly gave away fewer balls than, than Vals Grunau did. And you have to remember as well that Tandari could have put Pinsgat one up inside one minute and then you know, how happy would everyone have been then? And we would have said, what a great opening phase and, and how well did Pinsgau start the season? You know, so these are these things are decided on on results at the end of the day and, and Tandari's shot goes over and we all say, oh, difficult opening phase, but it could have been different. Who were the, the players that, that stood out to you in that game on either side from the commentary box? Oh, that's a good question. I did like... Valentine, I have to say, Ollie Valentine was, was really impressive, bringing down those long balls, controlling them really nicely, and quite often turning those into sort of dangerous balls across the box. We saw one at nil-nil, which ended up with uh, Alexander Gardenstetter having a, a shot that was blocked away. And uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of chance there. If you can use those long balls and get in behind, he wasn't afraid to, to run down the left wing and, and deliver the balls into the box. Um, other than him, I would have to pick out Dominic Kirchner because... That's another big positive for Pinskow after match day one. Not only did they create some stuff on the ground in the second half and they created with long balls in the first half, they also were dangerous the whole game long from set pieces. And a lot of that was down to the deliveries that uh, Dominic Kirchner was putting in. And we saw it, as we've mentioned, time and time again with those corners. There were some dangerous free kicks into the box as well. And that's, uh, that could be a real advantage going forward down uh, the course of the season for Pinskow. What about you? Did you notice anyone else that stood out? Have to agree on on those two, particularly Kirshner with his with his set pieces. I know it's always very easy to choose a a goal scorer as the player that stood out to you, but I really was impressed by Harry Cooksley, particularly in the second half. I felt like he was always trying to play on the defender's shoulder, and I think we saw that when the uh, one of the Vals Grunel players was perhaps lucky to pick up a yellow card when he sort of scythed him down when Cooksley was going clean through on goal. That was after having already put Pinsgal two and up. Then, of course, there was that chipped effort and he, he, played, he played a role until he was ultimately brought off and, and replaced. He, he played, a, I think, quite an important role going forward for us. So an Englishman choosing an Englishman as the, as the, the player of the match there. Yeah, plenty of people online as well on the live feed, which I can see from the commentary box. A lot of people were sort of asking whether Harry Cooksley would be awarded the man of the match. So potentially a, a decent uh, first day return for Cooksley in a Pinsgal shirt on match day one. Yeah, absolutely. Should we move on to the, the rest of the league action in the in the Salzburg Regional League? The uh, Pinscan match might have been on Saturday night to get us started, but the league actually began the day before, and that was when St. Johann took on Bischofshofen in a game which is described as a derby, although in a Salzburg league, you have to say that many of the games are derbies, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, 
they're all derbies really except for Pinsgal and I think is there's one other team that's a bit further afield yeah St. Johan are one of those teams that, that, that are a little bit further ahead uh, away and Bischoff's often to be fair so maybe maybe theirs is a derby most of the rest of the teams in the league are based in or around the city of Salzburg just a few teams sticking out a bit more on the map yeah ultimately uh, TS Files St. Johan won that one 1-0 and I don't think that was overly surprising. I had a look at Bischofshofen's results from the past few seasons. They are now on a 30-game winless run. That's one draw, 29 defeats. So you would probably expect them to be the the, the clear favourites for relegation this season. So having said that, it's not you know it wasn't a heavy defeat, quite a narrow defeat to to start the campaign. But they'll really just psychologically want to get three points on the board at some point soon for their confidence. Yeah, absolutely. I did notice, though, that, that Bischofshofen actually picked up a, a draw against FC Pinsgau in what were the sort of pre-season friendlies for the beginning of the latter half of last season, which then never went ahead. So just before the corona break in March, Bischofshofen did actually get a 1-1 draw So uh, you know against Pinsgau too. So maybe maybe they're a team on the up. And, and I noticed that as well. And I thought a 1-0 defeat by St. Johannes it might not be a brilliant opening to the season, but for a side who who only got one draw in the whole of last season and lost all of the rest of their games, it's not the worst way to get the season started. They did uh, lose Elias Kirscher at the end to a red card after 96 minutes, but all in all, a good way to get the regional league started. 500 fans in attendance there at St. Johan as well. So nice to see some fans uh, allowed back into the stadiums and nice to see the attendances are, are getting there. You know, of course, we have to... Give a, give a shout out to all the teams in this league who've come up with these prevention concepts for the coronavirus and they're taking people's temperatures as they go into the stadium and, and there's sort of mask uh, requirements as well. So a good effort by all the teams to actually allow these games to take place with fans. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of work goes into that behind the scenes. I think sometimes people don't see just how much work goes into that, but it is, it is a tough tough deal keeping everyone apart and the required distancing. So kudos to them. Should we have a look at the other Saturday results? Yeah, definitely. Uh, probably one of the, the less exciting games. USK Anif, nil. Esfal Seekirchen, also nil, in front of 350 fans. That was the third versus fourth from last season, though. So in terms of score, it might not have been that attractive, but two good sides probably producing good defensive performances there. Yeah, keeper Joseph Stadelbauer of USK Anif, the one who was uh, praised the most for that one, for that nil-nil draw. So Seekirchen perhaps a little bit disappointed, but both teams uh, losing key members of their coaching staff. Red Bull Salzburg pinching a coach from USK Anif and uh, Reed, the new Bundesliga promoted side, Reed pinching the coach from Seekirchen as well, just before the beginning of this season. So both teams who had had a bit of a uh, a troubled beginning to the season you know they had to change a lot around so both teams keeping it solid and getting a clean sheet they'll probably be happy with that one elsewhere Austria Salzburg our opponents next week they won 3-1 against SV Grudy in front of 750 fans that was the the league high attendance this week and get used to that we'll see home games for Austria Salzburg of course with the highest attendance most of the time this is the the sort of the successor club to Red Bull Salzburg so a lot of the Red Bull uh, a lot of the Salzburg fans moved over to Austria Salzburg back in 2005 when Red Bull Salzburg bought out the original club. So if you didn't know about that, that's why Austria Salzburg are so popular and that's why people love that club so much. Yeah, and if you want to find a bit more about the takeover of Red Bull Salzburg and the Phoenix Club that was then created, we'll be covering that in detail in our match preview for next weekend. So keep an eye out for that. Excellent. Looking forward to that one. Um, Austria Salzburg did fall behind, though. Uh, Erdogan putting Grudig ahead 
their manager as well, Gridig, is Heimo Pfeifenberger, part of the uh, Austria 1998 World Cup squad, I believe. And we, uh, we did a podcast about that on the other Bundesliga, actually, and, and looked into that squad. So interesting to see him there at Grudig. So he had that to celebrate, uh, going ahead against the run of play. But soon Austria Salzburg hit back with a 3-1 win. Marco Oberst, a player with Bundesliga experience for Grudig, actually. He uh, scored from a header in the first half, right at the end of the first half to equalise Marco Hudel with a deflected shot to put Austria Salzburg 2-1 up. And Manuel Kreintz with the goal of the weekend, an absolutely outstanding volley after a corner kick. Three goals in a very short space of time for Austria Salzburg and that 3-1 win puts them joint top of the table with Pinskau Salfelden and with another team because Kuchel also won 3-1 against Sack. That's an interesting result from a Pinskau standpoint, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think this was the surprise of the weekend for me and for probably most people covering the league, especially because SAC won the regular season last year. They were the only team to beat us twice in the in the league. Um, and already they've lost one game more than they did in the entirety of 2019 to 20. So it is, in fact, they, they finished with 17 wins and one draw. So now after one match day, it is already impossible for them to match their points tally from last season. Um, what about the actual game itself? Yeah, the sack coach, Roman Valner, another name that we know from, from back in the day at Red Bull Salzburg. He was one of the early transfers from Red Bull Salzburg over to, to Leipzig, I believe, before that whole thing started. But Valner's back in Salzburg with Sack. Um, he declared himself happy with the performance of Sack, if not the result. So it might not all be the, uh, the, the, the dreaded start that it seems to be for Sack. They did lose the game, but they claim to be happy with the performance. Um, Kuchel, on the other hand, happy with the result, but not the performance. But... Three goals for them, no complaints. A solid 3-0, you know, 3-0 lead they built up before a late goal from Julian Pfizer gave Sack a consolation. But that means three sides in the regional league won 3-1 this weekend. And that leaves the table as follows at the top. Pinskau on three points, Austria Salzburg on three points, and SV Kuchel on three points as well. They all won 3-1 and Sankt Johan, the other winners of the weekend with that 1-0 opening day win back on Friday. So uh, Pinskau starting well and looking good at the top of the table. Yeah, three away goals as well, which was more than all the other away teams managed to put together. So I think we'll definitely take that for the, the first game of the season, onwards and upwards. Nice statistic. And we're looking to a home game next for, against Austria Salzburg. You, uh, you mentioned a bit about the match preview, but that's an enticing tie, isn't it? That's a great way to start the season. And uh, another bit of almost symmetry not only did we open up against Valskunau in the same way we opened up against Valskunau last season away, this time we're playing against Austria Salzburg. And Austria Salzburg were the last team that we played against in a competitive game nine months ago. So opening up against familiar foes, of course. Yeah, almost 300 days ago, that, that game now, a long time ago. It would be nice to bring, bring it back to the Salfelden Arena and, and have a pitch that doesn't cut up. So hopefully we can get some some nice passing football going. Looking forward to watching that one next Saturday. What a birthday treat that will be for me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, that's always going to be a massive game for us. So really exciting. One of the biggest games of the season coming up so early on. And of course, uh, it doesn't mean too much after one game, but still it's FC Pinsgau in first, Austria Salzburg in second. So you've already got a little top of the table clash going on here after match day one. So that's an exciting one. Uh, I've got to give a shout out to our reserve team as well. Uh, it was a mightily strong reserve team that was picked and a 7-2 win 
for Pinskow's 1B team with goals from a lot of the senior players. Uh, Nicholas Seiler, who we interviewed before the match against Valskrunau, he got two goals. Bienvenue Kanekimana with two as well. Simon Ollert, uh, Jonas Schweikhofer and uh, Fushtaler as well getting the goals in a 7-2 victory. So uh, happily, if we look further down the league after that win against FC St. Veit, Pinskow's reserve team also top of the table. Absolutely brilliant stuff. The women's team don't kick off until the 30th of August with their game against Leo Gang, so we can't tell you how the women's team are getting on thus far. But what we can look at is how the other two regional league levels, the league in Tyrol and the league in Vorarlberg, are getting on. Because just to uh, tell it clearly, the Salzburg Regional League is going to match up at the end of the season with the Tyrol League and with the Vorarlberg League as well. So Pinsgau's aim is just to get into the top two of the Salzburg Regional League. That's all they need. And then they will meet, if they do get there into the top two, they'll meet the top two sides from Tyrol and the top two sides from Vorarlberg as well in this Elite Liga playoff for promotion. So throughout the course of the season, we'll be keeping you updated here on the FCPS show with the goings-on at the top end of the Tyrol and Vorarlberg leagues as well, because that is certainly going to play a part if Pinsgau do make it into the top two. That's going to be really interesting. Uh, Lee, you looked at the Vorarlberg league, didn't you, in the first couple of games? Yes, the Elite League of Vorarlberg, as it's called. Um, this is an interesting league at the moment because some teams have played two games and some have played one. And the reason being for that is that there are only nine teams in the league, which means that every match day there is a team sitting out, effectively not playing a game. I was curious to why there were nine teams, so I spoke to our uh, friend Maxi Werner over in Vorarlberg, and he explained that, that basically there were no promoted and... Um, relegated teams because of the coronavirus and so what happened here is that one team I think Altac Juniors resigned from the league because they started a cooperation with the second team of Dornbirn and another team in the league Langeneg started a cooperation with a fifth division club Lingenau and they are now competing as Rotenberg in the Elite Liga. So that means that we've sort of been left with this imbalanced league with, with nine teams in it. But nonetheless, it's the same. One relegated place and the top two go into the, the promotion playoff next spring. In terms of the fixtures, I think VfB Hohenems have to be the favourites for this league. They have won both of their games so far, 5-0. Quite comprehensive victories, so you'd expect them to be... Strong contenders for a top two finish. Last season's regular season champions, Dawn Birner SV, have only played one match so far, but they lost that against uh, FC Lauterach. So that was probably the, the biggest surprise of the season so far. Yeah, Hohenem's running away at the top already, if you can say running away after two games. And over in Tyrol, I can go one better than that, Lee, because Imst, Imst won 8-1 on their opener against SV Hal. And then 6-1 against VSK Amateurs on their second game. So they're already at plus 12 goal difference with six points. And they're the only team in Tyrol who have got six points after two games. Uh, other games of interest in the Tyrol League. You've got Kitzbühel, who uh, played out that feisty friendly against Pinskau not very long ago. Uh, Kitzbühel lost 1-0 to Reichenau. But they beat Schwarz 4-1 as well. So they're in fourth place on three points. So that's a bit of an indicator about how uh, Pinskau might stack up against teams from that Tyrol League, given that they, they beat narrowly, they beat Kitzbühel very narrowly in a, in a very tight game. Um, Kitzbühel won one and lost one so far. Elsewhere, Wacker Innsbruck, their second team. Yeah, Wacker, a big team over there, uh, one of the more famous teams in Austrian football out west. Their second team were held to a 2-2 draw by Kufstein in the opener, but then they beat Virgil 5-0 in their second game. So Wacker and Reichenau both on four points 
at the uh, top end of the table. You've got Impst on six, Vaca on four, Reichenau on four, and Kitzbühel on three. So that's how it looks at the top of the Tyrol League. As I said, we'll definitely keep you up to date on that because those teams are hopefully going to play a big part in Pinsgau season if all goes according to plan. Let's have a look at some news from the rest of Austrian football because it might have come to your attention that uh, a certain Manchester United were involved in a game against Austrian opposition this week in the Europa League. Yeah, five months after the first leg at the Linzer Stadion, Lask were at Old Trafford to play against Manchester United. Unfortunately, already 5-0 down, a scoreline which I think was significantly affected by the absence of their home support in the first match behind closed doors in Austria after the uh, corona lockdown or or at the time of the corona lockdown. And so I think that it was a a bit of a thankless task, but nonetheless a nice experience for them to get the chance to play at Old Trafford. And they did very well also. They went 1-0 up, a lovely goal from Wiesinger right into the top corner, which I think stunned stunned the Man United uh, faithful watching on Twitter. There were lots of comments about that. I can't believe we're losing to these comments along those lines. But then Manchester United did ultimately come back. Goals from Lingard and I think Martial got the second one to give them a 2-1 win and a 7-1 win on aggregate. But nonetheless, the culmination of a fantastic European campaign for Lask, which saw them start in the Champions League qualifiers 363 days earlier. They beat PSV Eindhoven, Sporting and Rosenborg in their group. They beat Alkmaar in the last 32 and then... It's no shame going out to Manchester United in the last 16 of the Europa League. So, so kudos to Lask. Yeah, a really good effort by Lask. You know, a comparatively small team against some of the well-known names in Austrian football. So what a great example that run in Europe has been for a club like Pinskau too. You know, that's enough to inspire the hopes and dreams of Pinskau fans around the world. If Lask can do it on a really narrow budget, a really tight budget with a really well-drilled and, and professional squad of players that have mostly stuck with them over the years. They haven't signed anyone big. They haven't splashed the cash. And yet just a good combination of players and a good combination of coaching and tactics. And there they were in the last 16 of a a European competition facing off against Manchester United, having beaten a load of other European heavyweights along the way. Absolutely brilliant stuff. And if that can serve as an example for Pinsgau, then we're going to have some extremely happy fans in the future. Yeah, I think the the parallels uh, stretch a bit further there as well because Lask obviously came up from the regional leagues as well not so long ago. So I think it really does, you know, it's it's a template for Pinsgau to to follow hopefully. And you know, with five European birds in the Austrian Bundesliga, that's almost half the clubs in the league. So it's it's a good possibility. Yeah, and you look at um, TSV Hartberg as well from this season. Another shining example of a small team just doing some great work uh, with the players and the coaching everything run really really well there over in Hartberg and they've got themselves into the European qualifiers for this year as well something which they're absolutely delighted about and uh, could never really have imagined so hats off to Hartberg and some some great examples of of people you know blazing the trail that Pinsgau would like to go down as well. Yeah and I think we also have to talk about probably the other Big news story in Austrian football this week, which involves Mattersburg and a knock-on effect throughout the whole football pyramid in Austria. I know you're quite well acquainted with that one, so do you want to give us the rundown? Yeah, sure. From the great examples of European football and Austrian sides reaching Europe, as you mentioned, uh, there is the other side of things too. Mattersburg, we've got to feel a bit sorry for the fans and, and the staff at Mattersburg because the club were playing in the Bundesliga. They've been a regular fixture in the Bundesliga for the best part of the last two decades, even reached Europe themselves in the early and mid-2000s, a club really punching above their weight. But 
unfortunately, they were tied to the, the fate of the Commercial Bank in their region because the bloke who run the Commercial Bank was also the guy who ran SV Mattersburg. At the end of the day, he was responsible for both organizations. And uh, in sort of European banking news and, and, and European politics, we've seen a couple of banking scandals come out since the end of the the sort of major corona lockdown. One of them was in Germany. Another one was in Austria. And it was the, the Commercial Bank Bergenland, uh, the, the bank responsible for the finances of SV Mattersburg. And it turns out that they've been alleged to have been fixing their figures uh, a lot over the last two decades, to put it mildly. And unfortunately, the, the consequences of that have borne out. There's going to be a, a long, protracted legal battle, that's for sure. But in the short term, it's pretty obvious right now that Mattersburg have no money. The key figures at the top of the club have had to resign. They've had to withdraw their positions. The club were left suddenly without the majority of their sponsorship deals. Their contracts were no longer valid. The people running the club were no longer there. They had no choice but to step away from Austrian football in a professional sense. So the club have folded themselves and pulled away from the Bundesliga. That means their second team have also pulled out of, of the third division over here in the east of the country. So a real mess for the Austrian football ladder. And that means that VSK Tirol, the side who went down from the Bundesliga this season or last season, they will not go down in the end. They'll be allowed to continue in the Bundesliga for next year. Um, it means there's a knock-on effect for the lower leagues with the, the Mattersburg second side stepping out as well. But a really sorry tale. And at the end of the day, you've got to feel sorry for a lot of the players who were under contract there who are now without a club. Suddenly, you know, overnight, this kind of stuff ha stuff happened. And there's the staff now, since the club have withdrawn as a professional entity, the staff are all without jobs as well, you know, just normal people. So a real downside to the, the, the news over the summer in Austrian football. And uh, we wish everyone connected with Mattersburg well. And we hope that uh, the players and staff can find new means of employment as quickly as possible. And we hope that, uh, yeah, there's a there's a Phoenix organisation of Mattersburg as well. You know, unfortunately, this isn't a, an unusual, it's not an impossible story in Austrian football. You do hear about these clubs. Uh, Grudig, actually, in our league, in the regional league, Salzburg, they went through a quite similar process. It, it's not connected to a banking scandal in the same way as this one. But Grudig were also playing in the Bundesliga not very long ago. And if you wonder why they're down in the regional leagues now, is because that's what happens, unfortunately, when you run out of money playing at the top levels of Austrian football. So some cautionary tales in there, as well as the good news too. But overall, it's been a really positive start to things. We can't bring you any action from the second league or from the Bundesliga yet, because they're still on their summer breaks for, for quite a while longer. Those leagues will be getting back underway over the course of the next few months. Of course, when they do, we'll keep you up to date with all the action of that on the FCPS show as well. But for now, we've got to say it was a very successful first weekend of the season. Fans back in the grounds at regional league level, at least a few hundred of them anyway. That was great to see. And more importantly, Pinskow coming away with three points on the opening day. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. No complaints. Goodbye from us. Thanks for joining us on the FCPS show. Can't wait to have you with us next time for the match against Austria Salzburg, our home opener next weekend. And of course, there'll be our fan owner podcast coming midweek as well. We'll be talking to the CEO of the fan owned club, Mark Ciocciola, about the benefits and the positives of being a fan owner at FCPS. And other than that, we'll have live coverage of the game against Austria Salzburg, of course, over the weekend. And then we will be back again for the FCPS show following up on match day two.
This has been the FCPS show. It's recorded, produced and edited in Vienna, Austria for FC Pinskau Saalfelden. And if you're interested to find out more about Europe's unique fan-owned club model, then why don't you head on over to wefunder.com forward slash fan.owned.club and find out everything that you need to know about this incredible opportunity to become a part owner of a European soccer club.